where speakers share tips from the road to make the platform explode. This is the Key 5 Podcast with your host, Robert Ferguson. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast for speakers by speakers. For show notes and to get free stuff, go to key5podcast.com. Today, we're talking with Stan Phelps, who provides keynotes and workshops on customer experience and employee engagement. Let's get started. So, Stan, uh, tell us, uh, how did you get started in the speaking business? First, thanks for, thanks for having me, Robert. I, how did I get started? Yeah, I almost have to go back about 10 years ago, and I was working in an agency marketing agency and doing kind of larger than life events and projects. And though what I was doing was really interesting, I thought that marketing was evolving so quickly and that there had to be a better way than just doing these large, larger than life projects and events. And it started me down the road of actually writing first. Hmm. I spent a year writing about all sorts of things in marketing and I finally found the one thing that I wanted to go deep on. And that topic, this idea of doing the little things to improve the customer experience, is I decided to go just a mile deep on. That led to my first book. As my first book was coming out, uh, I got approached to speak in Sweden, in Canada, and a couple of places in the US. And uh, I realized, hey, there could be could be a potential career here in terms of writing and speaking. Fabulous. And that, that first book was Purple Goldfish? That was, the, that was the first one. What's your Purple Goldfish? Fascinating. Well, and uh, having a book is important, and obviously that's a, a key element many speakers look for. Um, has that been a, a, an important tool for you in building your speaking business? You know, I think any, when you think about your platform for speaking, I think a book is, is a pretty big part of it. I think it's one thing that will be one of those differentiators that, that come into the mix. I think to write a book, Robert, you have to have a unique perspective. And so I think that also helps you in terms of fine tuning your message mm-hmm. in, and standing out in what I would call a sea of sameness. <laughs> that's a good one. Yes, that's a key part of trying speakers trying to find that. Absolutely. Well, actually thinking about how speakers are and a lot of variety, but what's some of the, the biggest mistakes you see other speakers making or even maybe you've made yourself? Well, I think if, and I'm going to speak just from a professional point of view, maybe, is that I think most speakers fail to understand or position what they speak about in a way that's going to get them hired. And a a wise person once told me that, that people will only hire you, Robert, for three reasons. The first reason is to make them money. (laughs) So whatever, whatever you're speaking about, is it something that they're going to be able to leverage to make additional dollars? Mm -hmm. Second reason Potentially, what you know, what you speak about, does that have the ability for them to save money? So we've got make money, save money, and the third reason 
that they'll hire you is to make themselves look good. <laughs> sounds so vain, but um, sometimes that, that plays into it. So I think as a speaker, you need to think in terms of not just what your talk is about, but actually thinking about it in terms of the benefits of the person that's going to hire you. And if you can't speak to how um, your topic is going to either make them money, save them money, or make them look good, then um, it's going to be an uphill climb. Makes a lot of sense. And as you say, looking good, that's probably about in the future, making money. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you have a book. You are obviously out there talking to folks that resonates with them of either they're going to make money, save money, or look good. As you have your content, uh, what's the process you go through to develop the content for a presentation for an upcoming uh, speech you're doing? I think, you know, a lot of the success that you have, Robert, is through that preparation. I think ideally, any time that you're going you're gonna to spend the time to do a keynote or a workshop, you need to do the preparation to make sure that that message is going to resonate with the audience. And so one of the techniques that someone had shared with me and I try to employ for almost all of my talks is I'll ask the event organizer to tell me a little bit about the people that are going to be in the audience obviously what they're trying to achieve, but I'll also ask the event organizer, hey, set me up with anywhere between three to five, just short 15 to 20 minute phone interviews with either their best customers that are going to be in the room or their kind of rock stars, their top employees, if it's a company event, that are going to be there. Mm -hmm. What that allows me to do is get a sense of what they're looking for maybe pull an example or two that I can weave into the talk to make it more personalized uh, to that company. And, it, and this is a small thing that I didn't even realize when I started doing this, Robert, is but that by doing those four or five interviews, you now walk into the room with a relationship with four to five people. And I always try to seek them out before I talk, maybe give them a book as a thank you. But I now have literally a champion at four or five of the different tables or different areas within, within the event space. And it just makes me feel a lot more at ease that, that I know kind of the heartbeat of the company or the, the association. Uh, and, and I think it makes for a, a much more richer talk when you can share some of those examples on stage. That's brilliant. I love the prep work. You're very, the precision of what you're doing both for before and then how you connect when you're there. Stan, how do you, uh, so you, you've done that prep work, you've, you've got your content. How do you ensure you're ready now to deliver a speech? Well, I, you know, I think a great kind of rule for, for preparation is that you want to spend about a third of your time organizing what you're going to speak about. I think a lot of times we rush into, you know, jump right into PowerPoint um, if, if you're a slide guy. And I'm big on visuals, so I'm bullish on PowerPoint. Um, but you need to really go analog, spend a third of your time to try to organize. For any given talk, I try to customize about 
you know, roughly about 20% of the talk, um, which allows me not to have to always recreate the wheel for every different talk I do. So a third of the time organizing, typically spend a third of the time kind of developing the presentation, the PowerPoint, uh, making sure that there's a nice flow in there. And then the last third, with I, th I think a lot of people don't give the, uh, the, the right amount of time to, is the actual practice time. So I always make sure I try to get to any event that I'm going to at least the day before um, so I can get familiar with the room. I can t run through my slides, do an audio check. I'll you know, make sure I run through the pres presentation once or twice out loud um, in my hotel room or if I have a, a free space. Um, and, and really, if the times I found that I've truly done the third, a third, a third, I typically feel really good about going on to the stage. Um, so that, that, would be the, that, that would be my recipe for trying to get prepared for a talk. Brilliant. I really appreciate the way you've outlined that. And the, the three thirds, I think, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, quick question about Q&A. How do you handle Q&A? Uh, is that something easy or hard for you? You know, this is an, this is an interesting one because I think, I'll tell you, I think the biggest mistake that most speakers make, and this is probably going back to your, your previous question, but I'll handle it here, is how they handle Q&A. And so two ways. One, they, they, you know, they're, they're, they realize that they've got so much content and they're not going to finish on time that Q&A totally gets thrown out. And, and actually, that's acceptable. Where I think most speakers go wrong is they may finish their content. They've got five or 10 minutes left there, potentially for Q&A. And they ask, uh, you know, a question. And it's always difficult to get the first question or two. But essentially, you know, the last question happens, they answered it, and, and it's this awkward uh, thank you. <laughs> and there's no way that the last thing that your audience should remember is what one person out of the room had a question about. And maybe their question applied to more people in the room, but that is the last thing. So what I've, what I've been counseled to and I think is, is the right way of doing it is that you always want to finish with a last story and maybe some last takeaway or challenge to the audience. And so I will build time for my Q&A um, before I get to that last story. And what, what the beauty of that, Robert, is I know roughly I need four to five minutes to kind of land the plane. Mm -hmm. And so what I can do is I can use that Q&A time to roughly take the amount of questions that I need to fill that space. And so I'm always cognizant when I'm looking at the the timer when I get to about that seven or six minute mark to say, all right, this is the last question and I'm going to finish with a, a last story and a final point. I answer that question. I immediately jump into that final, final story. And so I, again, I, I think most people handle it very awkwardly. I don't think that there's any, it's not a problem if, if you may, in fact, I would encourage most people to, 
if you can, just do your Q&A. Be available after your keynote. Um, because my, my problem is that one person's question is, doesn't equate what everyone in the audience needs to hear. Makes sense. That's brilliant advice. Stan, I appreciate that. So uh, as we wrap up here, is there just uh, one thought of tip or recommendation that you would like to suggest for speakers to improve their business? Yeah, here's the greatest tip. And, and we're, we're both friends of Alan Hoffler. <laughs> I've learned a tremendous amount from Alan, but none greater, Robert, than this, this last tip. And um, he uses an acronym and it's called STOP. Okay. And STOP, stops, it's an acronym. It stands for single thought, one person. So the idea is you deliver a single thought to one person in the room. You're not allowed to share your next thought till you kind of look at another single person and share that, that, um, that single thought. Um, beauty of that is that it allows you time to breathe. It allows you time to think about the next thing that you're going to say. It also eliminates all filler words, the ums, the ands, the sos. And most importantly, I think is lost on a lot of people, is that when you say something that's important or relevant or hits home, you want to give the audience time to actually take that in. And if you're already jumping onto the next thought so quickly, you're robbing them the opportunity to be able to absorb that information. And so stop is, is the absolute greatest piece of advice that I, I think I could give any speaker. That's brilliant. Stan, this was awesome. I, all the things you've suggested, it's jam-packed, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. want to say thank you very much. This is great. And as I say to our speakers, we'll see you on the stage. Now let's hear what Alan Hoffler has for us in our Millswick Minute. Today's speaking tip is about how to look into the audience's eyes. Just about everyone tells me that eye contact is important for a speaker. But when I observe them speak, they seldom do it well. Eye contact must be judged from the eyes of the listener and not the speaker. If the listener doesn't think you looked at them, it wasn't eye contact. To the speaker, this will often feel very long. And as a side note, eye contact is inherently cultural. New Yorkers differ greatly from Southerners, and the Middle East, Far East, or even across genders in parts of the world is vastly different. The way to really connect with eye contact is to speak an entire phrase, that means until a punctuation mark, to a single set of eyes. One person, one thought. Single thought, one person. That's the way to make the audience realize you have eye contact. I'm Alan Hoffler, and this is your Millswick Minute. Thanks, Alan. While I can't look into our listeners' eyes through this podcast, I do try and imagine that's what I'm doing. 
On our next Key5 podcast, I'll be interviewing Marcy Rader, a speaker, author, and productivity and health expert. I hope you can join us. To listen to all of our podcasts and learn more about our guests, go to key5podcast.com. That's K-E-Y and the number five, podcast.com. And remember to enter your name to it for a chance to win a copy of Alan's book, Presentation Sin. At the end of every month, we're giving a book away. So go to key5podcast.com today. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by your local studio. For more, go to key5podcast.com.